yes, Joe Kennedy. Welcome to Discography, the music podcast that delivers the objective truth about the entire discography of every single artist and band that ever existed. That was quite a rousing uh, hello. I'm excited. I mean, but one th- I'll tell you one thing I'm not excited about. There was an Easter egg planted in a prior episode that I need to I need to get off my chest here before we proceed. You're going to call attention to this? I, I have to because I feel like a fraud. I mean, I would have just like never mentioned it again. No, no. It's I kind don't. of my fault, actually. It's entirely your fault. What are you talking about? <laughs> so a few episodes ago, I think it was maybe Sly and the Family Stone. I can't remember. Uh, I said the word outlier three times. And, uh, uh, but I pronounce it out Lear. Apparently, I just never knew how to pronounce it. And the third time I said it, uh, Joe actually told me that I had mispronounced it and allowed me to redo it, recut it. But then <laughs> the, the first back of my two mind, instances, I'm like, I'm like, hmm, no, it's outlier. <laughs> first two instances were left uh, just unattended. I, that really shows how my thought process works. Yeah, like, whatever, nobody will notice. Well, yeah, it, edit it out. It either shows me to be a complete idiot or a, a, a student. The of problem learning. was the first couple ones were not edit outable. So, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> so. It, it remains an Easter egg, and we'd like to thank. Uh, now Rick. it's not an Easter egg because now you told everybody. That's true. I'd like to thank Ricky K, friend of the pod, for pointing that out. Pointing out that outlier of a mistake. That's right. That's, That's right. the only mistake we've made so far yet. Yeah. Well, not not opinion wise, but only about things outside of opinions. Okay, back to business. First things first. You guys need to know just how seriously we take this shit. Discography is heavily researched. The music is always reassessed with fresh ears. And just so you know, we're not just covering albums. Uh, We do a very, very honest deep dive analysis of EPs, singles, comp tracks, relevant solo work and bootlegs, and notable appearances on others' records. And then we rate everything from zero to five stars. Which allows us to come face to face with the true shape of an artist's overall overall arc. arc. It really is something special. In this episode, we are turning the spray cans on PJ Harvey. So this is a weird one for me. You've known her very well since the beginning. Yeah, I followed her since, uh, well, I wouldn't say the very beginning. I think I probably came in around um, uh, Rid of Me. So the second album is where I came in. So early enough. Yeah. I remember first seeing uh, the video for Man Size and being really floored by that. It stood out as like being very high quality Mm -hmm. from the first you know, 10 seconds of hearing her music. And for me, what what makes this a very special episode for me, although not technically a capital V-S-E, very special episode, because that's a series that we do, is that I most of the major records that PJ had recorded, uh, I had never heard. It was just one of those things, uh, like a, just a hole in my... Yeah, you kind of came in a little later. I don't know yeah, I, re- I really did. I came in at Stories of the City, Stories of the Sea. I had heard a little bit of To Bring You My Love. So for me, this trawl, this discography trawl, was um, a real eye-opener to a lot of stuff. Looking at it all kind of uh, in a row like we do here, it's she had a really, like, you know, she made a legitimately great record in 1992 and then a legitimately great record in 2011 that spans almost 20 years. Spoiler um, alert. Um, so that's, you know, had, I think she's had a lot more staying power than pretty much any of her peers from the time. What you can definitely say about her, she's always searching and questing for a sound that'll fit her message. And her message is always changing, um, except when it gets dragged through political stuff for way too long, in my personal opinion. (laughs) But, um, she, she's rewarding to, uh, fans. She's always worth listening to. Right. But but then there's that disappointment of if you like a certain era of an artist and they are protean like like she is, they're never going to stay in one place very long. So yeah, to kick things off, phase one, nascent but greatness adjacent. You like that one? Right. Okay, so 1988 yeah, so to 1991. Right. She's kind of from a part of England that's that's like the country. It's it's a real country ass place from where Dorset. She's from. Yeah, and that's like real like um kind of farmland it's like the equivalent of being from i don't know like iowa or something you know like out in like like farm community yeah and she was um, born in october 69 lived on a farm yeah i mean really like out in the middle of nowhere right 
Yeah, so I think that's kind of a key um, element of like where she comes from. She sort of, I, I, to me, a lot of times kind of harkens back to the English folk tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's not by any means like a slick big city kind of lady. <laughs> she's, yeah. she's she has those roots in the in the you know in the country. And there, there is something that's often, especially later in a career, like pastoral kind of about Wicker Manny, right? Yeah, definitely. I think that's an influence where she comes from. Yeah, musically, uh, she kind of started by uh, becoming a member of uh, Automatic uh, Dlamini. How do how how do you pronounce that? I would guess Dlamini. Dlamini. Yeah. Automatic Dlamini. Uh, anyway, they were based I, in Bristol. I, I'll also go with Dlamini. Offers it, yeah, yeah. Judges accept uh, choking on your own vomit. <laughs> uh, so it was a band that was formed by a guy you'll be hearing quite a lot about uh, during this episode, John Parrish. So yeah, John Parrish, kind of a multi instrumentalist. He's kind of like that was his project. And then they recorded a bunch of stuff, and PJ Harvey came in at the end. There are recordings with her, nothing that was actually released. Now, I think she's on a couple albums that did come out. They, this really? Is like, yeah, this is like the last one. There's one in 89. Now I that, sound um, like a fucking jerk-off. <laughs> <laughs> now you sound like a jerk-off. <laughs> <laughs> now I sound like a jerk-off again. Um, um, yeah, so the, there, there's definitely stuff on YouTube. I think she's in a video of theirs. She's very young. I think she's like only 20 or something. Um, and you her, she brings a lot of uh, personality to the, but you know when she she sings a lot of kind of backup vocals on it, and when she comes in and kicks in singing, you're like, oh wait, who's the what's who's this amazing singer now that's on I would this? I would like to unless something came out, I would like to posit that there is nothing officially released with PJ Harvey on it uh, that Automatic Delamini released. If you know the answer to this, please write in because uh, I am in firm contention with Joe on this. Please on write into some address that on any of your platforms. Write to Santa. Just, if you just if you just put an envelope in the mail that says discography, you'll <laughs> yeah. get to us. <laughs> That's right. Um, but anyway, a bunch of her future collaborators came from this project, notably um, her longtime drummer Rob Ellis. Right. They were not in the band simultaneously, and of course, John Parrish. Right, and John Parrish, who's all over right. everything she ever did. Right. Um, so you know, her, her, her sense of loyalty is astounding. I mean, yeah, her core group of muso friends is um, kind of already on the scene. Yeah. Um, so, um, but she eventually moves on to make doing a solo career. Mm-hmm. She toured with them quite a bit um, and um, got she, a lot of her chops together in terms of playing in a band. Right. And she said of that of that time in the band, she said, I was listening to a lot of Irish folk music at the time. So the songs were folky and full of penny whistles and stuff. And it was ages before I felt ready to perform my own songs in front of other people. Yeah, it's a folk rock kind of thing. And it does get there are some loud guitars at times, um, but it's uh, and it, they're pretty polished. They're kind of a good they're all good musicians. So she got her act together. You know, she she she's a, a tremendous player player herself i mean um, you're pretty psyched if she's in your band in any way but, shape or but form then, but then in january 91 she left the band took a couple of uh, former band bandmates with her formed her own band just to be clear the band was called pj harvey and her name is Polly Jean harvey and now we're at phase two fuck you then kill you or perhaps vice versa 1991 to 1993 so now she's like really on fire. The first single comes out, Dress, in October 1991, and Sheila Nagig uh, the following February in 92. Right. And this is a very different sound from Automatic Dilemma. <laughs> right. This is, uh, yeah, this is very hard edge, very of its time, but exemplary of its time. Yeah, punk rock, um, you know, very ferocious, um, distorted, aggressive guitars. And the band has a indelible sort of chemistry. They they're very ferocious, and they seem very well rehearsed and well put together. Um, they have their shit together. Extremely. Yeah, that, that drummer it drives that band forward like crazy. It's- yeah. So Rob Ellis, the drummer, played with her for. He, he's the drummer. He's kind of the key element of the trio. Um, you know, the two of them. The bass player is cool too, but the the drumming is really kind of a center take center stage and normally I don't really like busy drummers um, Rob Ellis is playing on these records is kind of in the busy sort of like a lot of Tom stuff kind of mm-hmm. almost like Stephen Perkins from Jane's Addiction a little bit um, but in this particular band this great trio it's it's really appropriate he fills in, very, a, lot of, very, fills in a lot of space very slinty plays with great dynamics um, his parts are all super cool 
and um, the, they just have they're to me one of the great trios really I mean yeah they, you know, they're great and their output unfortunately is, is very infinitesimal and so in 92 uh, following up Sheila and the gig uh, you have their debut record Dry which she uh, she described as the first chance that she ever had to make a record she thought would be her last so yeah. she put everything she had into it and um, that's why she said it felt very extreme for that reason uh, Kurt Cobain said it was his 16th favorite album of all time. Dry is um, kind of a mini masterpiece in its own right. Yeah, the comparisons to Nirvana are pretty interesting. They have a lot of the same elements. So you know, you have the the really strong drummer, um, the sort of Novacelic itch, Novacelic ish bass player, <laughs> rolls <laughs> right this, off the tongue. And Stephen Vaughn, who's kind of he's playing all the right notes. You know, he's hitting yeah. the notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then um, you know PJ, who plays great <laughs> guitar and um, is the, is such a great personality. Yeah, and that, has a big outsized ability to scream and make you know. It's always so crazy when you see an artist emerge completely fully formed. It's, right. There's no build up. There's no so many other acts, especially if it's you know reduced down to a you know a little core like this. Yeah. They don't really come barreling out of the gates like this. Yeah. I mean the her talent on this is so undeniable. It's so yeah. it's so like overwhelming. <clears throat> you know the her, the the great guitar riffs and her like incredible singing and like so the right out of uh, you know right on side one. <clears throat> The lumbering lead bellyish dirge of "Oh My Lover" is kind of a fake out, like you yeah, say. It's kind of a false start. So then, when you hit um, "Oh Stella" with track two, when she says "Stella Marie, you're my star," from that intro, uh, she owns me for the whole record. Yeah, I mean, "Oh Stella" has that great riff. Like, um, it's the, the guitar tone is great. It's this awesome, like, cruddy, like, distorted amp overdrive sound. She has just the right kind of amount of slop in her playing. She has great feel as a guitar player. Um, she really puts over. She has plays just great guitar parts. Like yeah, she's uh, if you know if, if she was just a guitar player, she would be a very formidable musician. The, the singing is kind of like a whole other thing. So. The, and the persona. Let's not forget the. I mean, I'm yeah. guessing this is not how she is all the time because you wouldn't be able to be in the room with her. But um, she's, you know, the songwriting is astounding. The playing is astounding. Uh, the streak from O Stella to Joe. Yeah. Uh, so you have. Ostella, Dress, Victory, Happy and Bleeding, Sheila and Gig, Hair and Joe. Those songs are all amazing. Yeah. And that's all in a row. Joe is insane. Um, you know, just like my co-host, the real life Joe. <laughs> I mean, they do stuff with odd time here. You know, they, they there's a there's a, you know, the hair is a really cool five four that they're playing in. They navigate that really seamlessly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Sheila and the gig is another one that just the epic riff and it, it's really just the sound of them playing in a room. There's very few overdubs. I just on this. appreciate that she references uh the dirty pillows <laughs> from <laughs> Carrie. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> It's, it's it really is the sound of them you, you know you almost, sometimes you almost feel like you're in their rehearsal space hearing them play yeah, it's, yeah. it's very much live in the room kind of sound not quite as much as uh you know the next studio record but uh, yeah. but, but definitely uh rehearsal spacey yeah there's a few of these where this record sounds like it needs a remaster or something because mm-hmm. there, there are some songs it's a little muddy some songs kind of sound very full you know and and explosive and other songs kind of sound a little like uh kind of thin and sort of mm-hmm. muted in a way um they could, could probably stand a, a, a remaster um but I give, um, I give this one four stars there's you know there's a few songs that aren't quite as good as the rest mm-hmm. um but it's it's a great record and that's nitpicking so yeah four i gave stars. it i gave it four and a half um, um, you can also see her slint influence uh, yeah. peeking through a little bit. So that was one of her favorite bands. Their their big record, Spiderland, came out not too long before this, maybe like a, the year before or something. You can that that sort of uh, loud, quiet thing that slint does. The you know the use of odd time. Um, this sort of very clean, especially in the last couple of songs, um, Fountain and Water. Those seem to be very. Uh, heavily slint influenced and I um there's also something by the way by the way just to let you know there's a journey in this record it's called dry but at the end Mm -hmm. fountain and water right yeah there's sort of wet sort of wet conceptual uh, so it takes you a pl- to a different place it's like by the end of it she's not dry anymore that's right i've never listened to this uh this record and not pissed my pants <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um outstanding debut and they're uh, well on their way yeah, the four stars, four and a half from Joe. And, and the, uh, so she gets a lot of, you know, it immediately gets tons of uh, media attention and she's sort of a uh, very uh, famous figure in the fickle world of the British 
rock press. Right, right. And I do want to say that in the grand tradition of very few bands that are named after people, uh, PJ built into her band an exit strategy uh, because it's named after her, and this band fell apart very quickly, so she's a smart woman. 1993, uh, the, uh, the recordings from 1991 and 92, four-track demos is released. I do want to note that she has released all of her records with all of the demos. We're not reviewing the demos on those, but this is kind of a standalone release because... There are six demos of some unreleased tracks mixed in with eight demos of songs from Rid of Me. Kind of reflects the spirit of that time, the early 90s, where it's right. like when you put out your four-track demos, they're like, that's like a thing at, right. at, at that time. And, and, now, rid, and rid, of no was, really, rid of Me was going to be a double and yeah, right. with uh, one album of studio, one album of demo, uh, which I think definitely would have been a mistake. The four-track demos has some amazing songs. I want to first talk about reeling which is previously unreleased it was the first song i ever heard from her it starts off i want to bathe in milk eat grapes robert de niro sit on my face first song i ever heard from her right from that part i was completely in love yeah, so that's kind of the highlight of the. Uh, there's a couple of these that were that she never did with the trio. Um, there and then there's some that she did do with the trio, and the demos of them are great too. There's there's demo versions of um, Fifty Foot Queenie, Rid of Me, yeah, and uh, her demos in general. Yuri not, G, there's yeah, some good ones. Not just on this uh, collection of demos, but throughout her whole career, her demos are very detailed. Mm-hmm. So her demos have a lot of the arrangement bits already worked out. You can so. hear it all, even if it's her voice car- carrying what the instrumentation. Yeah, you can kind of get a sense of what the dynamics of the song are what are the quiet and loud parts she has a lot of the guitar stuff already worked out at a very early stage so that's definitely how she works she makes very detailed demos and they're pretty fun to listen to the other previously unreleased songs that i definitely recommend and are going to be on the playlist are easy and m bike yeah, so yeah, Easy's kind of like a Sheila and a gig rid of me, um, kind of loud, quiet one, kind of a rave up. Um, definitely could have been on the record. I would have liked to, you know, would have been a great song with that band. What I love most about this particular record is there's times during these songs where just on a four track, she's able to kind of whip things up into this typhoon of completely unhinged raucousness yeah. that totally out pig fucks the pig fuck boys yeah she knows how to get those blown out guitar sounds and yeah, make yeah. everything sound kind of very the way she energetic. produces those yeah. four track demos it, it, it adds to it a lot of energy so four stars for me on that one I gave that one uh, also four stars and then we move into 1993's rid of me Joe please I'm dropping back into my fainting chair please take over <laughs> yeah so again when rid of me comes out there's a ton of attention on her um, there is uh, the the She's the, the British press, you know, they, they, they do the thing where they build you up, they tear you down. She's, you know, has a lot of notoriety at that time. She's still very young. And, um, you know, the, the, the British music press kind of invented clickbait before there was clickbait. It's and like, she, and, it's like yeah. clickbait without the clicking. And, you know? and, and at the time, she was apparently not eating well at the end of her relationship to constant touring. She described it as a nervous breakdown. I mean, she got pigeonholed a lot as like this angry woman sort of thing. Mm-hmm. That, you know, there's this like angry sexual violence to her. You know, this that she's a man hating. I don't get that at all from the music. You know, there a lot of it's very tongue in cheek. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a sense of humor to it. There's a playfulness to it. You know, she's kind of the, this, she's turning tropes upside down. <clears throat> this this record I had never heard before. Uh, it, wow. it, it had escaped me just like uh, Gone with the Wind. I've never seen, uh, <clears throat> and it punched me in the nuts man i love this album i don't know how it escaped me most of it was most of the recording was done in three days um and uh you know this was kind of the implosion of the band as well right so they recorded it at a pachyderm studio in in uh, minnesota which is kind of out in rural middle of nowhere and it's kind of one of those places where you don't really do anything the rest of the day you know you make the record and that's pretty much it um steve albini recorded this was recorded in december 92 and this was used as a template for in utero to yeah, well, show kurt cobain right. what it could sound yeah, like. yeah in utero was done just uh two months later in february 93 and it's it's it the that's sonic... nirvana's in utero for anyone who doesn't know what we're talking right. about. it sounds like just putting it to like 
like, uh, you know, this is, it's more complicated than this, but it almost gives the impression of a tape recorder placed inside of a rehearsal room. Yeah, there's a lot of room sound in, in the, that, that's kind of the, the strategy that Albini goes for, <clears throat> kind of on both records. Um, and that the room itself has a certain kind of like slapback kind of echo to it. So, I mean, it sounds like Nirvana came in like 10 minutes later. Right, the, right, was right. Done. Same, just, same mic like, setup. Set up on the same gear. Same and, fucking and made mic setups. Uh, every single, there's 14 songs on the record. Every single song earns its spot, is incredible. There's not one I would take off. It's a very hard five-star album as far as yeah. I'm concerned. There are some people that don't like the production on this. I mean, I think Elvis Costello just came out with a comment that he loves this album, but it's recorded like shit and like, you know, but I completely disagree. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I think the, uh, it's a certainly, it's it's an it's an approach. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's a strong yeah. flavor. I mean, <laughs> the it, it's recorded. Look, here, here's what you can say about it. It may have been recorded like shit, uh, that, that wasn't recorded that, like shit. That's wrong. I'm just saying that's arguable. But the this is inarguably the perfect encapsulation of this side of PJ Harvey's persona. Yeah, of this particular band too. Of the band of the persona. El- Elvis Costello um, was once really great, but he's wrong about this. <laughs> So, so this um, is a case of everything sort of clicking. So she's got yeah, great material. Yeah. Great um, material. The, the band is kind of at the end of a cycle where they've played together a ton. They're very well put together. They really have their shit together. Right. It's the right producer, the right time with the right material. It's kind of everything aligning, you know. And, Every um, single song like this, I can close my eyes and get this sort of imagistic thing of her being a giant stomping the earth. I yeah. mean, she's, it, it, the, the way she sells these songs the vessel through which they pass as you know mm-hmm. of her persona it's perfect yeah it's a pretty brutal and monochromatic sort of sound there's not a lot of color in this record right it's pretty much them playing it's you know it's uh, it's heavy it's it's the, the the loud quiet parts are really loud and really quiet there's a lot yeah. of dynamics to it um, you know, she uh, she kind of takes the strategy with lyrics a lot on this, where she's kind of sings in archetypes, and she would kind of do that, I think, uh, through a lot of her career. Right. right. You know, she's able to take on different personas, a lot of like literary references, Let, let's throw out, like, let's mythological throw, sort of things. You know, let's throw out some of uh, our both of our highlights here. I love Yuri G, Fifty Foot Queenie. Yeah. Uh, Rid of me. Dry, as in you leave me dry. Man size. I mean, there's no bad songs. the The way the the record seems to be structured is the the first chunk of five songs. There's an act break, sort of, with man size sextet, which is the only song that's not uh, produced by uh, Albini. Yeah, it's actually a string sextet, like it's right. a little like palate cleanser. And then uh, Bob Dylan's Highway 61 revisited, both essential tracks, but sort of a palate cleanser. And then we go into. Uh, a, a crazy mean streak through the entirety of the rest of the record and it ends with ecstasy. Yeah, and then there's some, you know, there's four or five that are big, like, standards, the songs that she's very famous for. Rid of Me, 50 Foot Queenie, Man Size, Dry. Um, but then there's a couple that are kind of, like, lesser known that have been kind of forgotten that are super awesome. Like the song Mist, that's another one that's kind of like... Great. Rub, rub Till that, It Bleeds. Uh, rub Till It Bleeds is amazing. Yeah, I'd kind of forgotten how good that one is. Son of a um, bitch, man. Some Again, some of these get sort of mathy. She kind of plays in odd times. Yeah. And, um, you know, 50 Foot Queenie is another one where... Th- that's one, an interesting kind of um, example of how she interprets the blues. So mm-hmm. she's kind of influenced by the blues, but, um, you know, not like in a Led Zeppelin, Eric Clapton sort of 12 I bar think, way. I think that's what she uses to play with and subvert the idea, uh, ideas of what women were supposed to be doing at that time. It was not a very liberated time. Yeah. Yeah. She, I mean, <clears throat> it has this sort of like the kind of like guttural sort of wail that the blues should right. have, you know, she, right. she's kind of getting that element from it. And I think that's probably, some of that comes from her upbringing, being coming from the country and living on a farm and being in the English countryside. There's sort of like a, she sort of connects to what we call the blues in sort of a different way, you know? And, and it really reminded me of, um, of actually Georges Bataille's story of the eye. I don't know. I don't know if you've read that, but uh, it's <clears throat> real. It's just like uh, eyeballs, dislocated limbs and fucking to me, this is a hard five. Yeah, this is this Hard is def- I mean this is I think one of the best records of the decade. Yeah. Um yeah, definitely five stars. Hard five. So um, in in 94, uh she kind of took a break from the spotlight. All she really did, the only appearance she made was performing I can't get no satisfaction with Bjork at the uh at the Brit Awards 
in 95. Uh, what happened was she took the royalties from her first two records, uh, bought a house at way out in, in the countryside, no neighbors at all, uh, living in near isolation, started writing the songs that would appear on To Bring You My Love. Now we're at phase three to tame a tigress, mm-hmm. 1995 to 2004. So that's the end of the trio. Um, right. I, you know, they had done a ton of touring, a ton of support on uh, for the first two records. Um, and, you know, to this point, she's completely met all expectations. She's delivered on everything. But it's a tremendous amount of pressure on her. And she's kind of, um, you know, in a fragile mental state. Right, um, right. And she's now not alone because she's got John Parrish. She's got Flood. She's got, you know, the, all these people who are helping her. But... <clears throat> um, you know, I kind of want to talk about, you know, the, the name of this phase, uh, To Tame a Tigress. You know, it really makes me think about John Belushi's career, about Jack Black's career. Um, the idea of this, uh, you know, this unquenchable fire that needs to be corralled in a certain way. So uh, Belushi was perfect in Animal House and, and Blues Brothers. And then, you know, he plays... In Continental Divide, a, a newspaper man in a, in a romantic comedy with the little flippy notebook, like how, you're right with the with the flip notebook and the pencil behind the ear, of course. Um, so uh, same with Jack Black. I mean, it's just what do we do with this guy kind of thing. And it was a similar thing. Maybe she was feeling it a little bit. I mean, she was she had a lot of good influences going on. Some good songwriting. You had some Velvet Underground, Captain Beefheart, and American B- Blues influences going on. Yeah, Beefheart's another influence on her, and I guess she was friends with him and like mm-hmm. consulted with him quite a lot. Yeah. The so this record is a very different approach entirely. This is. Um, you know, the first two are band trio records that were mostly done live in the studio with not a lot of overdubs. This is a very overdub heavy record. Um, Flood, it's, like a, it's like a painter's palette of yeah. overdubs. So Flood comes in to produce, and he's a big name producer at this time. He had um, engineered for many years for uh, Brian Eno and Daniel Lanois, worked on a lot of their iconic records that they did together. And then, by, but by this time, he had. Um, a pretty significant career as a producer himself producing like big giant rock records. Like, uh, he did pretty hate machine and the downward spiral by nine inch nails. Zeropa. He did Zeropa. He did melancholy and the infinite sadness and adore later the smashing pumpkins record. So big, like, you know, big major label, fancy studio, every trick in the book. Kind melancholy of is the, the apotheosis of the double album that should have been a single. Isn't, yeah. But, uh, but some of the, the instrumental, um, uh, you know, sort of palette washes that that Flood employs. He's got bells, chimes, vibraphones, uh, acoustic guitars, strings. This is not the PJ Harvey trio. Yeah, this is an explosion of the palette. You know, there's there's lots of keyboard stuff. There's electronic elements. There's some drum machine stuff. Right, and it's also the intro of the deep rumbling organ tone uh, that replaced some of the bass on the record. So yeah, there's some sub subby bass going on in this. To house. me, to me, the biggest weakness of to bring you my love is the inconsistency of the pacing the first two songs to bring you my love and meet zamonsta i love i don't like the next three songs and then i love four songs and i don't like the closer so it's it's kind of a up and down record for me um it's weird. I have kind of a different reaction because I like some of the ones that you don't like. Like I like right. I like working for the man. Don't and, like uh, that one. Do you Kurt. like Do you like I think I'm a mother? Um, I love that song. That one's cool. That one's mostly kind of atmospherics, but it yeah. it's, it's it sits in the record cool. You know, this record um a lot of it is kind of a little bit overdone to me. Well, some of it is overdone. So like the opener to bring you my love, it's kind of like a slow burn. And it builds to this climax of her singing that. I love that song. That one. That one's really. I mean, when it builds to the climax, it's amazing. Her singing on that's like really incredible, really super cathartic. But it's five and a half minutes. It probably could have been three and a half minutes, and that makes me kind of not want to really listen to it. I I get it. (laughs) Too much of a commitment. Like it could have said the same thing in three and a half minutes. Here's the thing with with an artist like PJ Harvey, it's going to be rough because she's always going to search, and that's why you're going to love her. But the problem is, if she hits on something that you think is the perfect part of her talent, then when she moves on, it's always going to yeah, feel like a disappointment. Yeah, it's right. always going to feel disappointing. The other song in this that didn't really connect with the, on this go-around, I liked it at the time, was the, the lead single, Down by the Water. Yeah, that one I love. Um, that one just kind of feels like it doesn't really go anywhere. It feels like it like, promises something that it doesn't really deliver on. It's more, it's, uh, it's, 
it's more atmospheric, I think. I, I do like that song. And it is the introduction of, uh, you know, her initial usage of a sort of vomit-inducing bass. Yeah, I just synth. think the melody's not really that um, that compelling to me. Um, and then it's kind of like the, the payoff is kind of the whisper vocal at the end. Joe, we got to put it on the fucking playlist. Yeah, it should be on the playlist. I mean, it's like, yes, you know, if, you, I wanna, won that if one. you wanna know about it, I mean, that was one of her real big hits and a kind of a big yeah. breakthrough. This no, is her I, best selling album. Yeah. It sold a million copies worldwide. It achieved everything they wanted it to do. So, you know, it was sold a million copies. It, it kind of established her as a star. You know, she's kind of number one on the Paz, Paz and Jop thing by like a wide margin. And, and, and in a way, it's kind of cool that this is her biggest one because it's very out in the English countryside, Wicker Man like. It yeah. has a very dark psych vo- vibe to it. And so, even though not every song connects, uh, for this particular record to be a big one, is still pretty cool. I give it three and a half stars. I give it three and a half stars too. Um, I, Long Snake Moan, that's a cool song. That's yeah. kind of like yeah. very 90s alternative nation. Like, you know, I, it, it's, uh, I'm kind of surprised that wasn't a single in, back in the day. What, what I want to leave uh, you with on this record is that I believe it sounds the way that an alligator moves so close to the ground and all slinky-like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it sounds uh, it sounds expensive. It does. It does. <laughs> it sounds very, so, it sounds so, very fancy. So ni- it's not. It's good. I, you know, I don't. I don't want to sound like I. It's, I'm kind of grading on a curve a little bit for. You I know, get it. Yeah, because there's better PJ Harvey. Yeah, uh, but this it's one's not a bad still record. Is, yeah, there's once cherry picked on our playlist. It's going to make sense. Yeah. Okay, so from '95 to '96, she does a slew of soundtrack work, duets, etc. The two that I want to, she does Batman Forever, The Passion of Darkly Noon, Stella Does Tricks. The the couple that I want to mention, um, 1996 from The Crow, City of Angels, she did a new version of a Rid of Me outtake called Naked Cousin, which is awesome. That'll be on our playlist. That's a banger. And Henry Lee from 96. It's actually Nick Cave's song from his Murder Ballads LP. It's it's the best singing she's done at this point and possibly ever. Yeah, they have a lot of charisma together. They're perfectly well suited to sing together. It's you know it's it's a good song. Um, anyway, moving on to 1996, uh, an interesting record. So these are not records that are necessarily taken seriously by a lot of fans of PJ Harvey. They don't see them um, possibly Maybe not canon questionable whether they're canon. Well, I think they are. Yeah, but um, here's why a lot of people don't. She's second build, and she's billed as Polly Jean Harvey. So uh, people kind of see that as an as, as an excuse to see it as a sideline thing. She also didn't really write these. She didn't. Right. She so. didn't. John Parrish wrote and played the music from Aqua. <laughs> And then uh, PJ sang vocals and wrote the lyrics. Right. So it's kind of like a, he did the track and then she comes in and does top line kind of, you know, um, that approach to writing doesn't always click. Um, right. I, this record, it doesn't. It I, does I, not click here. I feel like I can see all the seams. I can. Totally. It's, it's, it sounds like what it is, which is yeah, yeah. coming in and singing over the top. Of you know, it. she actually said, uh, and I quote uh, the, from uh, the Chicago Sun-Times in 2001, people don't even count that. Yet that's the record I'm really proud of. It was an enormous turning point. Lyrically, it moved me into areas I'd never been to before. Faced with John's music, which was so different to my own, it just made me write lyrics in a very different way and structure songs in a different way. And I call horseshit. (laughs) I mean, it sounds like, you know, again, she has all this pressure on her with the release of each of her records up to this point. So this seems like it's kind of a way to go make some music with friends. It's sort of a more low stakes kind of affair. There's only one song I would put on the playlist and that is rope bridge crossing. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a homespun junkyard. Mike, you know, the Mark Ribo guitar tone. Yeah. Um, But it's a, a, it's it's, kind of a lot of that sort of stuff on here. A guy banging on a trash can lid. But but that superimposed on a gorgeous melody. Now you're talking. Yeah. So So the, the other guy that's in her scene, Mick Harvey is on this record a lot as well. Right. Um, um, Look, this is, to me, as far as I'm concerned, it's an interesting diversion. I can see how this would have been as freeing as it was for her artistically because it knocked down the walls of whatever box she'd previously put herself in. Ultimately, though, not a major work. I give it two stars, and I'm being generous. Mm, I gave it the same two stars. We were agreeing on these I'm being generous, though, with the two. All right, so, so moving... At, the, at this point in her career, when the next record comes out, now we're on to Is This Desire. Well, not yet. There's, there's a few songs that come out yeah, through 97. There, I really just want to mention one. 
Um, she did a duet with Tricky from Angels with Dirty Faces uh-huh. called Broken Homes in yeah, 98. I kind of like that one. That one's cool. That's going to be on the playlist. It's kind of like, imagine trip hop, Polly J. It's very trip hop. It's yeah, like, it's, you know, it's good. Textbook uh, trip hop. Um, all right, so moving on to a very strange record. So 1998, she put together a record called Is This Desire, which marked a move away from the guitar stuff into much uh, quieter, subtler, more atmospheric, soundscapey stuff based around keyboards, bass, and electronics. This is the first time that there she's put out a record, and there's not this like massive amount of like hype and anticipation for it. She's kind of established now. She made her like grown up adult record with "To Bring You My Love," and this one came out with kind of not that much fanfare. Really, there wasn't there, like I a think, big blitz of publicity. I, for I this think record. there's a specific reason for that. So the thing about this record that uh, actually is the the maybe not so hidden reason why it doesn't really work, it the keyboard sounds are aggressively vomit inducing, and the idea was she has said the idea was to make people almost sick to listen to it. So I don't know if you got that experience. There's only really a couple where there's a couple songs that it sounds like they're trying to do like a Reznor thing. They're trying to do like some like an ugly distorted bass. There's a few songs on here that are very hard for me to listen to. The a couple in particular are My Beautiful Leah. Yeah, and, that one does have the farty bass. And, and Joy. Joy makes actually makes me physically ill. Yeah, so those two in particular, I agree. Those are but that's, I don't know, that's overdone. But it's too very much. confrontational with the you know, I want to make people, you know, uncomfortable. There's some really good stuff on it. The sky lit up is amazing. Catherine is amazing. The river is amazing. Uh, actually, the three last songs are all really it's, good. This record is was a lot less successful than "To Bring You My Love." It sold like one fifth as many copies worldwide, and right. it's kind of a it was kind of a bomb at the time. I prefer this record. I have to say, pound for pound, I like this record. Look, it's interesting. Yeah, it's really. Well, I think interesting. there's a lot of good songs. It's kind of her trip hop album, and, and that's cool. She does it well. There are a couple songs that, that where the sonics just don't really work. I think the, right. two, the two that you the pointed so, out, but the songwriting's always good. Yeah, that's the thing. There's not well, an like overriding the, issue there. The opening tune, Angeline. That's one of my favorite songs that's she great. ever wrote. That's a great that's one. It's a really haunting. The first three kind of song. songs, Angeline, the sky lit up, and the wind are amazing. Yeah, the wind. That's another one. She has, has that slint influence. It's right, kind of that. Right. She, she's whispering the vocal and. It has a kind of real sense of foreboding, the same way some of those flood yeah. songs have. Um, and then when her voice comes in, she's kind of also kind of doing a different thing with her voice on this record. She's kind of singing in this sort of disembodied wraith-like yeah. kind of tone. Yep, and yep. it's not really doing like the guttural blues kind like of a, thing. almost like a sultry house goddess. Kind yeah, of thing. yeah. She's kind of floating um, over the top of a lot of it. It was also the only record where the record company came in and had a, had a degree of creative input which had never been sanctioned on any of the other records. Which is weird because it really doesn't sound like it that. It doesn't sound like that at all. How, how For starters, I would have thought that Angeline would have been the single, but um, Perfect Day Elise was the single. That's an okay song, not one of the best songs on the record. It's definitely not one of the best songs on the record. Um, I would have thought Angeline would have been That would have single. probably sunk it, I would think. Um, but I think this record is maybe her most underrated. I think this is yeah, one that people kind of people kind of sleep that. on this one. I think there's a lot of good material. I think on it's it. a very good album that uh, could have been an even better album if the Sonics had been matched with the songwriter a little better. I give it three and a half stars. I give this four stars. Okay. Yeah. Um, then in 1999, uh, for the Book of Life soundtrack, a really really good song called "The Faster I Breathe, The Further I Go." I mean, really good. It's this uh, incredible uh, low-slung stunner that uh, belongs on her short list. I think that was a demo. It was a four-track demo, yeah. but really, really good. Yeah, the, it, the, this sort of, it has sort of crappy-sounding kind of sonics to it, but it really works yeah. in its favor. It's, it's kind really of a cheap-sounding drum machine and like kind of blown-out guitars. But yeah, cool song. I, I, that, that's a playlister. That's a playlist. That's, that's, uh, that's, you're welcome for that one. Yeah, that's um, good. So then we move into uh, This Century, 2000s Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea. And really, oddly, this is kind of where I come in on PJ. Uh, I bought this at the time, um, and it has a very strong New York City vibe because that's um, that's where she was for a lot of the writing of this. Uh, she was shooting a film uh, for Hal Hartley, and felt and felt inspired by the city, so wrote some of the best songs of her career. 
Yeah, this came out in 2000, but it feels to me sort of like the last great album of the 90s. It's, yeah. It, you know, it's, yeah. Um, it's, it has like a pre-9-11. It wraps up the classic period. Yeah, it has a pre-9-11, like pre-bummer New York City. It does. <laughs> it does. It. it sounds like better times. <laughs> it does. Uh, there's some incredible songs in this. Big Exit is amazing. Uh, Good Fortune, in which she sounds so very much like Patti Smith. Uh and then one of my favorites she's ever done, The Whore's Hustle and The Hustler's Whore. Yeah, so this one is, she's kind of getting back to doing rock kind of tunes, mm-hmm. but it's not monochromatic and brutal sounding like the it first two records. It sounds great. It's, it's, it's a more kind of fleshed out and it has more color in it than those first two, but it, she's back in the zone of doing rock and it's not like a The guitars electronic. sound beautiful. They're not overblown here, but she's still, you know. It's, she's never sang better, really. I mean, I remember when, when yeah. I remember hearing this, the first like, the first like, 30 seconds of the first song. I'm like, Oh yeah, this is, this is, I'm super into this. Um, I mean, I love this record. What I, one of the things I love about this one is that it's like all her past selves rolled up like one of those nougaty nut rolls, you know, those shits. And it, yeah. And it's, it's joyous, you know, yeah. it, there is, there are times of it where it's really joyous and feels like kind of like it's, it soars, you know? Yeah. Um, I you, love, this you know, one. those, you know, those records that Bowie would make that would be sort of a, a clearinghouse for old personas like yeah. the next day mm-hmm. or scary monsters. This reminds me of that. It's a collection house of, of psyches. Yeah. And it's also sort of, I think it's in a way her most like uh, the record where she's just being herself and kind of yeah. not really putting on a persona so much, you know, all yeah. the time. Like yeah. I, I agree. Is this desire. And it's very relaxed. Is this desire and bring you my love are very much where she is playing the yeah. sort of larger than life persona, but this is just sort of her being herself. I, I feel like the, I think, the in a, I think in a lot of ways it's the ultimate PJ Harvey record, although not necessarily the best one overall, but the ultimate one. Yeah. She didn't have to, she didn't overthink it. You know, no. she had the material. They went, you know, it, it sounds very effortless. Yeah. It doesn't sound overcooked. In any There's way. a couple songs that we'll take off for the playlist, but this one really is a classic record. I'll give it four and a half stars. I gave this five. Five. I, I, okay. love, I love this record. And yeah, whore, the Horace Hustle and the Hustlers Horace, that, that's kind of a, it's a real centerpiece. It's like right it in the is, middle of the record. It's the best one. It is. And um, it's it, very well paced. I mean, you know, because the, I think that's the idea of that song is the smash the build up to that to smithereens to go in a different direction right. for the rest of the record. Yeah. And then this is love. That's kind of like an old school banger could have fit on the first couple of records easily. Um, and then um, maybe my favorite song on the record horses in my dreams. Is that um, really your favorite? Yeah. I mean, it comes in, it's the penultimate song. It's number, it's the 11th yeah. song on the record. Usually that's where you bury your weakest song. Right, right, right. <laughs> I just love the atmosphere. It's just a really, beautiful melancholy sort of thing. Yeah. I, I think the refer- the title is probably a reference to Patti Smith. Yeah, I think she sounds most like Patti Smith. A little bit of Chrissy Hines. I mean, a lot of critics at the time pointed that out and noticed it. But um, not in a bad way. Not in a yeah, no, she, way. She, still she is, embodies it. She's, look, let's be honest, she's a better singer than yeah, Patti she Smith. Yeah, she is. She's a more accomplished singer. So but then, think, you know, then for the next few years, uh, she's just kind of doing this and that. A uh, few projects I just want to point out. Number one, in 2001, she was on Piano Fire and Eye Pennies on Sparkle Horses' It's a Wonderful Life. Which is a very good record. Great record. And so just for those two tracks, um, then she did a Desert Session, which is definitely going to be on the playlist yeah, called Crawl cool. Home. Yeah, so the Desert Sessions is like Josh Homey's crew out I, there. Yeah. And it's Josh Homey and a bunch of other like kind of metal bros. <laughs> this is as close as she's gotten to rid of me since then. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's it, fucking it, awesome. The song I'd love has, to hear a whole album. Yeah, like the song kind of really has his fingerprint on it. It's kind of yeah, yeah. the kind of thing he writes. She fits in great. Um, you know, um, that's going on the playlist. That's I give that four and a half stars. I gave it four. Um, and then I wish I knew which uh, which which of the Desert Sessions bros played. played on that. I couldn't find any uh, credits for it, but um, yeah, it's it's the, the I it's, like, a, it's on the volumes nine and ten comp. It kind of sounds like she's fronting Queens of the Stone Age. Yeah, exactly. Which so then she, in effect is that next year a couple different things. She works with Marianne Faithful on Before the Poison. Uh, five songs on that record were produced and either written or co-written by Harvey, plus a smattering of uh, of instrument help. And some of them sound quite PJ-ish. Um, yeah, in their, I, in their, in I their frankly, form. I don't really like it very much. I give it two and a half stars. Problem is, Marianne, her vocal range is uh, is almost nil. So. In 2004 as well, she uh, she hooks up with Mark Lanigan on his album Bubblegum. He's another one of the Desert Session bros. Yeah, so there's three songs they do, Hit the City, Methamphetamine Blues, and Come to Me. But holy shit, Come to Me. 
amazing slow blues. Yeah, well, Lanigan's a really good singer. He has kind of that whiskey-soaked kind of... But her, their voices together are real nice. Yeah. So. Uh, for, for the group of the songs, I give it three stars. For Come To Me, I give it four and a half. Sure, that sounds... I didn't. What did I give this? I think I, I rated the lot as four stars, all of PJ's... I didn't individually rate them, but that is a good Mark Lanigan record. Anyway, Bubblegum is one of his better records. That's that's a cool record. And so her, her, uh, her performances are notable. So that's three years of doing this, that, and the other thing. Now we enter Phase Four for fans of Michael Jordan's baseball career, aka the artist's fear of repetition and the many blind alleys down which that can send one. Two thousand four to the present. Now we enter 2004's Uh-Huh Her. This was, uh, you know, recorded during a two-year period, um, which makes no sense to me because the whole tiny little thing sounds like skeletal demos, right? Even the some of the best songs do. Yeah, so let, think, let's rewind a little bit. If you, at this point, she's put out five P.J. Harvey records, right? Official, like, not, not including four-track demos, not including whatever, the John Parrish thing, but canonical PJ Harvey as solo artist records. Right, right. Um, with her name on it. The first five are all like kind of big deal like statement records. This was the first one that sounds kind of tentative. It does sound tentative. It sounds very tentative. Now that's not to say there's not great songs on it, but there's a lot of songs that are really not that good on it too. Yeah, I mean it, it's kind of like she's doing the '90s trio sound, um, you know. She's, and by the way, she plays except for the drums. She plays every single instrument right. on the album. She's busting out the guitar pedals and doing the sort of that that kind of sound. And there are some really cool guitar things on here. There are some pretty sick licks on some. Who of these the songs. fuck? Who the fuck is awesome? Yeah, there's 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 a, you know she doesn't like to repeat herself. So, right, right, you know, which is great. Which is great. Um, there's a couple other cool things. The song "Shame" is cool. That's Shame kind of is like, great. That's kind Shame of like is an great. Is this desire kind of uh, it's front loaded. Yeah, kind of so ghostly the, thing. So, Shame, Who the Fuck, Pocket Knife, and The Letter, all in a row are great. The Letter is probably my favorite song on the record. I, I like the kind of the crud, the crud factor. Exactly, has, yeah. It yeah. has a good like, blown and out thing. And then the only other th- song I like for the entire remainder of the record is The Desperate Kingdom of Love, only because it's kind of an out, outlier. Um, you know, it's this really sweet... Uh, acoustic thing, yeah. <clears throat> and so I like this it. This is for the that. first. There's some filler on this one. There's a, there's a few towards the end where it seems like they're kind of padding it out a little bit. You're um, you're being generous. I think from track six to fourteen, there's nothing except one song that I would pick for the playlist. Um, yeah, I mean, I I kind of like Cat on the Wall, but I, I that's like one that. again that it seems like that was maybe she was like I could flesh this out, but eh, fuck it. You, you know <laughs> what this is? The, you know what the, this is really? It, it's a more measured attempt at the magic of four track demos. Yeah, right. That's sure. what it is. Yeah, I can see that. I, get, it, I gave this three stars. <clears throat> I give it two and a half. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, it's overall this is a very desultory attempt, and it's her most tossed off record. Uh, so two and a half for me, three from Joe. Mm-hmm. Then uh, we fast forward to 2007's White Chalk. Now this is where the Michael Jordan thing really comes into play. Here's a woman who right, did because uh, her, her is kind of for doing her regular thing, but just not quite as enthusiastic. Not quite as well. <laughs> right now we have her tackling an instrument she'd never touched now before. She's Michael Jordan playing baseball. Yeah, right. Now she's yeah. Um, the the problem is she's a very interesting guitar player and a seamless, like really good, strong guitar player. Right, right. She's a mediocre piano player, and then and then there's not really anything very creative in the piano. It's not like she has some right, like right. outsider Cecil Taylor way of you know. Pushing the piano. Here's here's it's all pretty. Basic. Here's the predicament. So what she said, um, she said this in in an interview she did in The Wire, uh, that the great thing about learning a new instrument from scratch is it liberates your imagination. That's the key. I think she's looking to unlock something inside of herself. And I think the final product is uh, almost secondary because it's really about, for her, the journey of her as an artist. Yeah, so, I mean the the right the inherent problem is with the the basicness of the of the piano her piano playing the songs are built on sort of uninteresting structures a lot of the time right the, the sort of bass thing underpinning it is not really as like she can kind of just come up with cool shit on a guitar and right, make it right, make it sound right. interesting so there's always that underpinning everything that's built around those cool guitar things she can do she can't really do that on the piano no. No, and, and so, so it's interesting, and some of the songwriting is good. I would pick three songs from it. Three out of eleven that are really good is "The Devil," "White Chalk," and "To Talk to You." Um, but you know, this record is exactly 
like what happened when Michael Jordan tried his hand at baseball. Uh, the rest of the world is holding their collective breath, peeking at their figurative watch, ready for him to pick up his, uh, well, her fucking guitar and stop frittering about. <laughs> That's kind of what this record is. I give it two and a half stars. Yeah, the the sound of it. So it's she's playing piano, but it's there, it's a distinct kind of piano. It's like this sort of slightly out of tune, like parlor, like living room piano. It's almost like haunted house. Well, exactly. I was gonna say you, you. There should be like a creepy little girl in the corner, like exactly. in a rocking chair. <laughs> it's like a, it's like stroking the hair of like it's a creepy a, it little. It reminds doll. me of like being in a haunted house and someone playing chopsticks. Uh, uh, in an out of tune piano. Yeah, the piano is slightly kind of smeared and out of tune. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, it's kind of goth, I guess. It is. It is kind of goth. It is. And, and you know, actually, the, the, actually, I'll say the atmosphere and the vibe is fine. It's just the tunes right. aren't, aren't really it's so much. Not, so much she there. didn't really deliver. She really didn't deliver. So, and then, I also think that if like a couple of these kind of songs on a regular record would have been fine, but a whole record like this, I'm just grateful it's 34 minutes. Yeah, long. It's short. It's yeah, short. yeah. So then moving forward a few years, it's very interesting what happens here in 2009. She does another record with John Parrish with her double build and all the music is written by Parrish. Yeah, same approach um, as the other one. Right. So he's playing most of the instruments. She is writing the lyrics and singing. Uh, it's called a woman, a man walked by, but interestingly, um, interestingly, I think just because of by dint of context, uh, because she had been bringing such weak stuff to the table through the magic of context, this turns out to be a very strong record. There's a lot of really good oh, stuff. Something on just it. clicked on it that didn't the first time they tr- they used this approach. Something on this yeah, one yeah. clicks, and this is like this record is like one curveball after another. So right, the, it, right. It, it has a really good spirit of kind of adventurousness to it. And um, like they're like the first thing that kicks in the first song right, love, right off so the bat good. I'm like fuck yeah so good yeah so it's like television or something I it's know. kind of like a, kind of a whole different sound like like the kind of like the clean kind of limber guitar I want to warn um, any you know PJ purists almost every single song from this record is going going on the playlist. All of it except for Leaving California and The Soldier. Everything else is going on it. The one thing that's a little bit of a, that, that um, is a little bit distracting for me on this one is that there, um, it seems like John Parrish at some point right before this acquired a Mellotron and uh-huh. then, like completely berserk with it. It's like a lot of Mellotron. I don't mind it. I don't mind it. I it's think- cool though, but I do like the fa- how much it mixes up. It's like, okay, that the, the kind of television style thing is the first song. Then there's like kind of like minor key folk sort of thing next. It's totally yeah, yeah. different. And then there's like a I think pretty my, acoustic thing. I think with- my favorite thing is the title track or A Woman and a Man Walk By Slash The Crow Knows Where All the Little Children Go. Yeah. That song is batshit crazy. Yeah. That one's not my favorite in terms of listenability, but I like the spirit of it. It's great. Yeah. I, I like, it's, it's I like crazy. What, they're, what they're going for. And, and, the, and the, then uh, Pig Will Not, the chorus is just her barking. It's another one. Not an amazing song, but I like the anything goes. I love. I, I think like it's an amazing song. I think it's. I think it's not. You know, it's 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 a it's more of a it's a sound. It's know, a, it's very unexpected. It's cool. I, I give the record four stars. I also I really like the um, uh, passionless, pointless. That song yep. is really good. That's another very pretty like and, it's and, totally different kind of thing than anything else in the record. It's super and, floaty. And cracks in the canvas. Too. Yeah, a lot of good songs on this. I didn't yeah. even know this record existed. Me, me neither. I, I never, came out never very heard little fanfare. It was you know. It's excellent. It's the most unexpected record. I think yeah. In, this this is the kind of thing that you know I hope to find when we do these episodes. Yeah, you know, like to, yeah. to find the one. That I, I, didn't I would even like know to about. announce that I'm very very grateful for the audience because if it wasn't for you guys, I never would have discovered this. What am I going to do this in a vacuum? And the answer is yes. Okay, so, <laughs> I wouldn't have discovered this except eventually, <laughs> right? And only under every circumstance imaginable. Okay, moving forward to 2011, let England shake. Another triumph. Recorded in She's five back weeks. On, back on top. She is back on top. Recorded in five weeks uh, at a church in Dorset uh, during two, um, during April and May 2010. Um, so this is a very, very different record. This record dominated the UK Press Awards. It won the Mercury Prize, mm-hmm. uh, which is like the most prestigious award over there. And it also won the um, Ivor Novello Award for Best Album. The Ivor Novello Award is a songwriting award. So highly decorated album, much beloved. Um, 
Um, and, and a lot of it was recorded live. A lot of it was improvised. It's very organic. There's, it's like very, not you know um, very little in the way of electronics. Um, and it's uh, it's really um, an, set, it's, it's an anti-war album, really mostly. It's a, it's a, you know she kind of employed a new voice on White Chalk. White mm-hmm. Chalk kind of has this sort of. Um, even more spectral and disembodied kind of voice than she'd had before. And she kind of inhabits a different voice entirely on Let England Shake. It sort of has the sort of wail of like a mother who has lost a son on the battlefield. Right, right, kind of right. Yes. You know, exactly. it has like the, it has, it's very connected to English folk. To yeah, me. yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it just, it, I, somehow she managed to pull off where it evokes the sort of battlefield imagery. Um, yeah. It, it, I think also is, in the in the melodies too. So a lot yeah. of the songs have that kind of English folk, like very sturdy, like folk song kind of. There's melodies. a couple of places where I swear to God, she's. They, it sounds just like early Cocteau Twins, like the, yeah, the, the glorious are, land. Yeah, there, there's a couple where they they like even, early early they even treat the vocal in a way that like, yeah. has like a chorus to it. That's kind of like a Liz Fraser thing, right? Um, Ultimately, yes. this is definitely one of her best records. Um, it, 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 it does not seem tentative at all. Not like, at all. Where the last couple of records seem like kind of like sort of tentative. You know, this it, is a strong statement. You look at this record and you're like, okay, it's it is worth it when an artist searches because sometimes it may take them a little while, but then they find they stumble on something like this. I don't know of a record that really feels exactly like this. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it, it's uh, it's very cinematic, and it it somehow really evokes that space, um, and it get it gets across an anti-war message. I mean, the the message that I take away from this is like, and it's weird that in modern times where we have cameras everywhere and we can see everything, how desensitized we are to war. This is in 2011, so the Iraq War has been going on a long time. Britain's heavily involved in it. This is her statement against that, and. Um, I, the the she gets that message across without really pounding you over the head with it. You know, she Look, gets not, it across with imagery and sound. To and be totally melody. honest, uh, I'm not big on war songs. I'm not big on political songs. To me, I just hate listening. You know, being battered over the this head. This is with a evocative, message. though. It's exactly the music. And the vibe of it carries the message. The words hitting yes. you over the head. Right. Uh, they that's not happening. Right. So it it works in a way that is. Uh, astoundingly the, the, powerful. The lyrics match the melodies really well too. Right. So there are definitely some lyrics that are very strong. You know, like you know, uh, what's the one? Um, you know, there, there's the "Hanging in the Wire" is a song that has like a very much like dead body in the field kind of imagery. Right, right. But um, and th- that one is one of my favorites on the record because it's kind of built around this like. It, it's it's sort of like a um, you know it's a, it's almost like a hymn or something. It's built around this kind of floating piano thing. Yeah. Um, and it, you know the words that maketh murder. That's another. That's key. so good. It has the callback to summertime blues. Um, yeah, yeah. The ironic gonna take my problem to the United Nations. Right. It's like, uh, yeah, this album's really and then um, uh, written a, written on the forehead with the incredibly well deployed ninety blood and fire. Yeah, sample. that's great too. That that one is does have that cocteau treated sound. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, this album's really good. I give this, this right, I give it four and a half i give it four and a half too did you yeah you're a pally mm-hmm. all right so very strong album you know that was 2011 all right then we move ahead five years five years uh the hope six demolition project look she's allowed to have her own life and do whatever she wants i'm just saying 20 if, 20 years in her career but then five years go by and you know no offense to pj but this album sucks um <laughs> yeah this album is another one that this is a much more overtly political sort of thing way overtly political so and it's uh, kind also, of lacking in uh, poetry but also <laughs> also you know the background of the record it was created in sessions that were open to the public yeah. as part of an art installation Right, it's kind of some kind of highfalutin concept. Yeah, she's being watched, and there's nothing that I don't know how that could be creatively provoking. I don't know if that diminished um, the album's power, but I will say that about something very specific, the subject matter. Right, letting them shake is kind of more of a general, like uh, you know, it's a screed against the brutality and pointlessness of war. Right, so sort of a big topic. This is sort of a narrow topic that boxes her in. It's a reference to the Hope Six projects in the U.S. where. Uh, rundown public housing in areas with high crime rates have been demolished to make room for better housing. But with the effect that many previous residents, residents could no longer afford to live there, leading to claims of social cleansing. I read that. <laughs> <laughs> but this stuff is directly referenced. Uh, it feels to me 
like some of the worst shit that Phil Oaks ever did, like all the news that's fit to sing. I like some of that stuff, but I mean, after a while, you feel like you're being beaten over the head with the newspaper. Yeah, she got some criticism about this that I think is pretty legit. Of that, it's yeah. you know, um, it's sort of patronizing. You know, it, yeah. it doesn't really offer any solutions. And it's sort of like, you know, the, the first year college photography student who goes and like takes photographs of homeless people or something exactly. and, and, and passes it off as high art or something, you know, right, it's just right. kind of like easy and then um, bans homeless really... pe- and then bans homeless people from coming into the gallery. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. It's sort of, she got, she got criticized, you know, that's not really me saying that that's, that's the kind of criticism she got from this. Um, right. You know, it's just not musically engaging. It's so not. It's not the, really. Yeah. I think that's why it comes across that way. Is because that's why it sucks. It just doesn't really have a lot of power because yeah. it's just the songs aren't really memorable. Look, Let England Shake had some serious musical merit yes, to it. Right. She found a new way to convey this message, and maybe from the things that she had seen, uh, that she was less focused on a record and more focused on getting her opinions heard. Right. But unfortunately, sometimes your priorities get off. Yeah. Unfortunately, encasing these messages in this music drained them of power and made it powerless, at least for me. I know this was like, it got some good reviews uh, and it, it's more highly thought of than I think of it. I don't get it. I give it two stars. I give it one and a half. I even really, wow. Below you hate you. This I didn't really like it at all. It kind of sucks. Yeah. I would take off River Anacostia and The Wheel. Those are the two um, I I'd put really, on the playlist. I, I didn't really think anything was really playlist. Really? Wow. This. Yeah. Wow. So it also has one, a real cringe, the real, that awful lyric, uh, they're going to build a Walmart here. <laughs> yeah, that's song. how the fucking, that's, that's the like first the song. Hook. That's like the hook. It's that's the like the payoff line of the first line song. line of the first song, yeah. isn't it? It's like that's the big payoff. Good. That's gonna, not yeah, good. That's, yeah. that's oof. Yeah. The next thing she released is a single called Guilty in the same year. And that's actually better and with more swagger than anything on Hope Six. Then her. I I, got to say, Guilty, that um, would have probably been the best song on the Hope Six album. It would have been. I think that would have been. It would have been. It's a little bit more. uh, It it sort of pops a little bit more than any of those songs. And then, oddly. Uh, her, as far as I'm concerned, her worst single on the A side, a dog called Money. On the B side, I'll be waiting. Yeah, so this, this kind of makes you just want this phase of her career. It's to so end. bad. <laughs> so here's a sample lyric from a dog called Money. It's all about money. That's what's going on. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the B side is a sort of hateful Dylan-esque screed, sort of like Masters of War. This is my least favorite release from PJ. This won't count. Uh, on the worst albums because it's a single, but I give it one star. I also give it one star. It sucks. Um, the next good thing she releases in 2018. Uh, uh, but before, I want to mention a little bit about the next single, The Camp. Not a fan. Well, okay, this is some more Kmart Woody Guthrie. Yeah. <laughs> it's about um, a, like a labor camp, kids in labor camps. I mean, I, I, I like, it's the, thank you for calling attention to is the Is it situation. pro or con? It's It's con. <laughs> Um, well, who? Why do you want to listen to this? My three-year-old works in a factory, so I don't connect with this yeah. vibe at all. Yeah. I give that one and a half stars. I give that one one star. Um, and then the next one is actually really cool. Uh, it's called An Acre of Land. And when I saw that title, I thought, this is going to suck. An Acre of <laughs> Land? A, yeah. I know. It's a shitty title. But it's, it's going to be another message song. But it's, it's actually not. a very plaintive meditation, and it's her best work since Letting England Shake. It's a little bit like Letting England Shake. It has that sort of minor key English folk thing I would it. put that one on the playlist. That's, That's a good song. Three and a half stars. I agree. And then uh, she does a cover in 2019 for Peaky Blinders uh, on the soundtrack. She does an incredibly intense Nick Cave cover of Red Right Hand that proves she still has a t- has what it takes musically. I give that one four stars. I gave that one five stars. I like that it's one a, a great lot. song. It's a I great think it, song. it beats the original. Really? Um, yeah. It's, it's the certainly up cool, there. Yeah. Um, but th- I, it's it's a rare example of someone who kind of does a reimagining of a cover and kind of takes it to a, a completely different place. That's kind of what you yeah. want covers to do a lot of the times, but they, yeah. they uh, don't often make it there. In the last five years, she's, or I'm sorry, yeah, five years, she's only been doing uh, soundtrack work, really. Right. Sorry. Uh, since 2019, right. only soundtrack right. work. So that's three years. And there's some uh, of that. She did the All About Eve soundtrack. Um, uh, in the last thing she released three years ago in 2019, she did the soundtrack for The Virtues, which is a TV series. 
this is kind of this brings us up up to date. She hasn't released anything in three years. We There's one tune in there. It's a vocal song that's cool. The, the which crowd, one? The crowded cell. That's a cool song. The crowded. Oh, yeah, that's, that's right. That's pretty much just a yeah. straight up PJ tune, and um, that should go on the playlist. I that think. should go. That's yeah. the last song on the um, on the soundtrack. Yeah. Um. So. So that's it. Yeah. She. <laughs> you know, we haven't heard from her in three years. As far as the shape of her arc, she came charging out of the gate like a bull in heat. Then she started looking around and exploring her options. And although it may have seemed like creative freedom, it wound up choking out all her most unique traits, in my humble opinion. But these days, she doesn't seem too concerned with uniqueness. PJ Harvey is a true artist, and all her detours are and will be always worth exploring with her no matter what. Yeah, I mean, she's someone I've stuck with her entire. I, you know, I, I'll, I kind of dropped off a little bit around the time of White Chalk. White Chalk. That's where a lot but of. I, that's um, where she lost a lot of people. But I did, you know, Let England Shake's a great comeback. That's been a while now. That's, and like that's, a penis, I never had rid of me, but I, I bought White Chalk. Right. I, I make no sense. Like a My, penis touched for the very first time. <laughs> uh, top three albums. My number three PJ Harvey record is Dry. My number two is Stories from the City, Stories from the Sea. And my number one is Rid of Me. I my worst it. album, Hope Six Demolition Project. I hate when these are the same. <laughs> this is very similar. Um, at, at number three A for me, <laughs> just outside the top three, would be Let England Shake. Number three, I have Dry. Number two, Rid of Me. And number one... Stories from the city, stories from the sea. Nice. Yeah, I just like the brutal sledgehammer of the Albini production. That's her Cro Magnon primate howl. I think most people would probably rank rid of me uh, tops. Yeah, uh, but you know, I get it though. Stories from the city is all of the PJ. Yes. It's not a great just album. one slice of it. And then um, the worst album is the Hope Six, whatever thing. Yeah, yeah fuck that thing. Anyway, th- um, thanks for joining us. We have uh, like about a billion episodes that we're taping uh, through the n- next upcoming weeks. A ton of really cool stuff that's coming out, right, Some Joe? cool guests coming on. Awesome um, guests. And um, some, some, some really cool artists. So um, this was a fun one to do. Um, this, one, this one went down easy. This was a, it did. A, it was a lot of fun. Even her albums that are not as we good. Love, or, you know. We love having guests on, but we also love just doing it alone because there's an energy that you and I have that is different with a guest. Yeah. Um, we have a slew of them coming up. Don't miss any of it. It's all going to be noteworthy uh, and worthy of stealing all of our playlist ideas. Yeah. Follow us on all the social medias. On That's your, right. On your Facebooks and your Twitters and your Instagrams. Smash all the appropriate buttons. Sign up to the Spotify thing. Please subscribe. It helps us quite a lot. Um, we're going to be unveiling some more stuff in the future. Um, some extra features and things and whatnot. That so. We have actually um, Discography Presents sideline shows that are coming up. Yeah. So stay tuned. Tell all your frenemies about us and we'll see you next time on Discography. Bye-bye.